I want to welcome those of you who are joining us by our City Church app or by our podcast. We started a series last week called The Gospel in the last place that you would expect to find it. And I think that the last place that most people with any familiarity with the Bible would expect to find the Gospel would be in the Old Testament generally and in the book of Exodus specifically. And if you think that the Gospel is not in those places, then you would be entirely wrong. I want to show you the gospel in the book of Exodus because I want you to see the amazing consistency of the Bible. I want you to see the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and I want you to see the beauty of the gospel over every other philosophy and every other world religion. Is it a little warm in here to anybody else but me? So somebody might make a phone call and uh, see if they can turn the air up a little bit. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus uh, chapter 3. And I'll meet you there in a minute. I've been... In ministry, is that air or rain? Is that rain? Man, I'm so glad we're in here and not out there. I've been in ministry for a long time, and I've heard a lot of people talk to me over the years about amazing spiritual encounters that they've had with God. And usually they describe those encounters as a mountaintop experience. And that often means that literally... They retreated to the mountains and maybe found a cozy cabin that they uh, stayed in that was kind of tucked away on the side of the mountain and they could be, you know, a place where they could be alone with God and they could commune with the grandeur of God as revealed in nature. And the result of that, what they meant when they said that, you know, they had this mountaintop experience is that it changed their perspective in some uh, significant way. And that's cool. And I think that's I think those are very important experiences. I don't mean to undermine those in any way, shape, or form. But it is interesting that I don't think I've had anybody ever tell me about a life-changing encounter with God in a hot, dry desert. And yet, that is exactly where one of the most significant encounters between God and a human being happened. Not on a beautiful, snow-capped mountain, but in a desert wilderness. And that's what we're going to look at uh, today. If you were with us last week, you may remember that Moses was essentially adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He spent the first 40 years of his life raised in the palace of Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt. He was given the finest education. He lived as royalty. He was very sophisticated. He was an aristocrat with a stunning resemblance to Charlton Heston. But when we pick up the account of the Exodus in chapter 3, that was a lot more funny, and I thought that that would get a bigger laugh. Let's try that one more time. He was an aristocrat with a stunning resemblance to Charlton Heston. There you go. That's, that's what I expect right there, okay? But when we pick up the account of uh, the book of Exodus in chapter 3, Moses is now 80 years old. He's been living in the desert for 40 years. Somewhere earlier in his life, he had learned that he was a Jew. And learning that, he became very appalled at the way that the Egyptians treated his people, the Jews. And he longed to lead his people out of oppression and out of uh, bondage to, uh, to Egypt. One day, he sees an Egyptian slave master beating a Jew, and Moses has had enough. And so he takes matters into his own hands, and he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Only to learn the next day that his secret has been discovered. He knows that once that news gets back to Pharaoh, he knows he's going to be killed. And so instead of leading Israel out of bondage, 
Moses takes off and he runs for his life into the desert. And so here is this educated, sophisticated, really natural-born leader who's been living in the desert for the last 40 years. And with all of his education, with all of his qualifications, all of his sophistication, he's tending sheep for a living. He's a shepherd. Can you imagine how that conversation must have gone with his college uh, class at his college class reunions. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? Moses, dude, you had it all. What have you been up to all these years? You've been, you've been killing it on Wall Street. Like, have you been, you've been running a multinational company? Uh, maybe you, have you been running a country or something? Because, dude, you had it all. No, no. I tend sheep for a living. Can you imagine what that was like? Moses is a perfect example at this point in his life of a guy who is underemployed and overqualified for the job that he's doing. But in the desert, that was the only career path available to him. He has to to eat, and so he takes a job tending sheep. We're going to pick up the reading here at verse 1. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Let me grab that. Let me get get it up there. There we go. Exodus chapter 3, we'll start reading at verse 1. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire uh, from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, listen, if you're standing uh, in the desert and you see a bush in the desert with flames coming out of it, you're going to be very curious about it, aren't you? I mean, Moses isn't smoking. Uh, He didn't throw a cigarette into the bush. The sheep didn't cause this bush to catch on fire. He's alone, and this bush begins to burn without burning up. Let's look at the next verse. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. If you're standing in the desert and you don't have cigarettes and a bush bursts into flames and that doesn't get your attention, and then you walk over and you see that bush is burning but it's not burning up and that doesn't get your attention, then having a bush talk to you will certainly get your attention. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. God waited until Moses gets close, and he calls to him, and he says, Moses, Moses. And then verse 4, when the, uh, again, when the Lord saw that he had gone over, he called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. For, uh, take off your sandals, for the place that where you are standing is holy ground. Most commentators will tell you that even though Moses was born Jewish, this is the moment, this encounter is the moment of Moses' personal conversion. This is when he really personally began to believe in God. In other words, God went from a, you know, kind of an impersonal being out there in the universe to a very personal being, very personal relationship for Moses at this point. And what I want to do this morning is I want to break this encounter down, and I want to look at a few things about this encounter with God that I think are very important. 
For those of you who are here this morning who may consider yourselves to be atheists or agnostics, I think that there are some things in here that you need to see. Then for those of you this morning who would say, I'm not an atheist, I'm not agnostic, I'm not exactly sure what I believe, I'm trying to formulate what I believe, I think there's some things in here that will interest you as well. And then for those of you who already believe, but you need a fresh encounter with God, Maybe things have gotten stale in your relationship with God. Maybe he seems distant to you. Maybe he seems kind of impersonal to you. I want you to see some things in here that I think are very important to you as well. Let me start with this one. The first, one, the first thing I want you to see is that I want you to notice that when Moses encounters God, he's on a detour. He's on a detour when he encounters God. Verse 4. Verse 4 says that when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Did you see that? Did you you notice that when we read it? It says when when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Literally, that Hebrew word that is translated gone over, a better way to translate it probably would be to say turned aside. In other words, he turned aside. Another another way that you could say it is that he he was on a detour. He took a detour to go see this bush that was burning but didn't burn up. And the irony really here in this is that Moses is really on two detours, right? He's on a macro detour. The macro detour is, is, is really the only reason that this encounter is happening because Moses is a fugitive. This wasn't, this wasn't part of Moses' life plan. You know, he was, as I said, uh, he was a sophisticate. He was, he was an aristocrat. He wanted to be the political leader of Israel, but everything went wrong, and now he's in the middle of a desert. He's in the middle of nowhere. But the great irony, though, is that only by being in the middle of nowhere, only by everything going wrong in his life, does he meet God in this very personal way. Okay, so that's the that's the macro detour that he's on. But he's also on a on on a micro detour as well. In verse three says that Moses thought to himself, I will go over and see this strange sight. Go over tells us that clearly he was, you know, Moses was on this side of, the, of, of a ravine with his sheep. And whatever was happening uh, with the bush was over on another side of, of the ravine. And so he sees this sight and he decides to cross the ravine to see how this bush could burn and not burn up. So he leaves what he's doing... And he goes to investigate. That's the micro detour that he's on. So there's a big macro life detour that he's on. And then just on a little micro detour when he crosses the ravine with his sheep. Now, I just, I just want to say, for those of you here this morning or listening um, to our app, who might feel like your life is on a detour right now. Like maybe you feel like you're in the wrong job. Or maybe you feel like you're in the wrong relationship. Or maybe you're in no relationship. Maybe your spouse left you. Maybe you left your spouse. And perhaps you even regret that. Maybe you think you're in the wrong city. Maybe you think you're, like if you're a teenager, you may think you're in the wrong family. Whatever the detour that you think that 
you feel like that you're on in your life, I want you to be very encouraged this morning because this is one of the most significant moments in all of human history between a human being and God. And I want you to see that this does not happen when Moses is on the top of life. It doesn't happen when he's on the top of a mountain. It happens when he's at the bottom. When he's undoubtedly thinking to himself, have you ever thought something like this? He he undoubtedly was thinking to himself, it wasn't supposed to be like this. This isn't what I thought my life would look like. This isn't how I dreamed it. This isn't how I drew it up. If you've ever thought that, if you feel that right now about your life, be very encouraged. Because when you think your life is on a detour, when you think you're on a back road, when things aren't going according to your plans, it's a perfect place for a life-changing encounter with God, the God who created you, the God to whom... Uh, The mountains will bow down one day. The God who created all of the galaxies of the universe and knows all of the secrets of the universe. This is a perfect time. If you feel like you're on a detour, this is a perfect time for a life-changing, life-defining encounter with God. That's the first thing that I want you to notice about this so you can be encouraged. The second thing that I want you to notice about this passage has to do with the reason that Moses went on this micro detour to check out this uh, burning bush. It's that Moses experiences a paradox when he encounters God. Moses experiences a paradox when he encounters God. In other words, in other words, this bushes that burn need something to start the fire. They don't just start by themselves, but also they should they should burn up. Right? I mean, a bush that burns, it ought to burn up. It should get consumed. This bush isn't. This is a burning bush that doesn't burn up. And that's a paradox. That can't happen. That doesn't fit Moses' current model of reality. It violates all of the laws of physics that Moses would have known at that point in time. It violates common sense, doesn't it? A bush that burns ought to burn up. And so he sees this paradox when he encounters God. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to, I'm going to argue that those kinds of paradoxes still happen. And I'm going to argue that they happen in ways that most people don't pay attention to. But they still happen. And they may have happened to you this week or they may happen to you next week. And when they do, you need to pay close attention. For instance, this is a paradox. Like, like let's say, uh, maybe you are. Maybe you would consider yourself to be an atheist. But you feel inside, you start feeling inside this spiritual emptiness that you can't account for. And all of the psychological therapy that maybe you've gone through because of this, it doesn't seem to relieve it. By the way, therapy is a really good thing. Going to counseling is a good thing. I mean, you know, Socrates said that the self-examined life is not worth uh, living. Or the, the, uh, the unexamined life. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll just stick with that. The self-examined life is not worth living. Sometimes I feel that. But no, the, the unexamined life is not worth living. And it's true. Counseling is a good thing. But as an atheist, maybe you're still feeling this spiritual emptiness. And you shouldn't feel that. Right? You're thinking to yourself, that does not fit into my current model of reality. 
Well, I want to argue that that's a burning bush. It's a bush that's burning without burning up. It's a paradox. And those are the ways that God speaks to people. Or maybe, maybe like this, maybe imagine a, a cynical journalist. Imagine a cynical journalist meets a, a Christ follower who is neither judgmental nor trying to hide all of his, all of his faults. But authentically, he's authentically, sincerely concerned about serving the poor in the city. Now, to a cynical journalist, that's a paradox. It doesn't fit his model of reality. That's a burning bush. That's not supposed to happen, right? God speaks through those kinds of burning bushes, those kinds of people sometimes in your life. Or maybe it's like a guy. Imagine this one. Imagine it's like a guy who's experienced all through his life an unbroken chain of success and suddenly failure hits his life. Some kind of trouble, some kind of failure hits his life. If you follow me on Twitter, I kind of was thinking about that a lot this week and I I tweeted uh, about something like that this week. I've become very distrusting of pastors and Christians who have known nothing but success. And I'm not against success. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just distrusting of success to teach us anything about import, uh, anything of, of any real importance in life. And I'm also distrusting of success because I know I have known people who have been very successful all of their lives and it's distorted their perception of reality. And the way that it's distorted it is that they've come to believe, they they have these little formulas for life about how they live life. And if you'll just live life the same way they live it, you'll be successful too. And then all of a sudden, something happens. They experience failure and they are absolutely devastated. They're blown away by it because it didn't fit their formula. See, it wasn't supposed to happen. It's a paradox for them. It challenged their model of reality. It's a burning bush. They followed all the rules and they still failed. See, God speaks to us in these kinds of things. There's all sorts of ways that God can get your attention and challenge your model of reality. It can be a train of thought. It, 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 can, be a, uh, it, it can be a personal failure. It, it, could be a, it could be a person that challenges your model of reality. It, it can be a trouble that you go through. It can be any number of things that God can use to get your attention to challenge your model of reality. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice something in this text. You have to pay attention when you encounter those paradoxes. Another way to say it would be those paradigm busters in your life. You've got to pay attention. Moses is like, okay, I'm going to go over and look at this. I'm going to go on a detour. A lot of people would have said, look, I'm too busy. I I got sheep to tend. I got got kids. I got to get them to the soccer game. I got to work. I got hobbies. I I got stuff to do. I don't have time. You know, they just kind of put their head down and they just keep plugging. And Moses says, no, I'm I'm going to pay attention. Uh, I want to see this burning bush that doesn't burn up. And because of that, he has this life-changing and life-defining encounter. So you've got to pay attention to these paradoxes. Now, as if all of that's not enough, I want you to see something too. And this, this one, it gets complicated here. 
In this encounter, God speaks to Moses by a paradox, in a paradox, and through a paradox. Now, let me say that again. God speaks to Moses by a paradox, in a paradox, through a paradox. Now, that, I think you would agree with me, is complicated. This is like paradox to the third power. What do I mean by this? That he speaks to Moses by a paradox, in a paradox, through a paradox. Well, okay, so one paradox is the burning bush, right, that doesn't burn up. Okay, we've been talking about that. So that's one of the paradoxes. The second one is what God says to Moses. Now, I want you to watch this, okay? God calls to Moses from the burning bush, and he says to Moses, he says, he says Moses, Moses, says his name twice, twice in a row, okay? I want you to notice that. Now, you see this sometimes in Scripture, where a word or a name is repeated twice in a row. And any time you see something repeated twice in a row like that, what the text is trying to signify there is amplification. Uh, or, or another way to say it would be uh, intensity. It's trying to signal intensity. And if a name is repeated twice, what the text is signaling is an amplification or intensity of emotion. It always means, if there's a name that's repeated twice, it always means that the person saying the name wants a deeper relationship with the person. It's always what it means. So like if I were to say to my wife, Amy, Amy, that means I want a deeper relationship with her. That's what it always signifies. So God is saying, Moses, I love you very much. I want a relationship with you. I want intimacy with you. So there's that, but notice that he also says the last part of what he says is don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. So on the one hand, God is saying he's saying he's saying Moses, Moses, uh, meaning get closer. But on the other hand, he's saying don't come closer. Come closer, don't come closer. More intimate. Don't get more intimate. Don't come closer. And that's a paradox. How in the world can that be? So that's the second paradox. Then the third paradox is fire. God often reveals himself through scripture by fire. In fact, he does it over and over and over throughout the book of Exodus if you were to read ahead. Now I want you to think about fire for just a moment. Fire is itself a paradox because it is, on the one hand, it is paradoxically beautiful and attractive, but on the other hand, it is dangerously lethal and scary. Now, that's a paradox. We, you know, we build fireplaces in homes, right? I mean, some of you have a fireplace in your home, and you don't need it. Your house is heated. It's not like you have to have a fireplace, but we build fireplaces in, home, in homes because they're beautiful to look at. We like to look at them because they're so beautiful. They're so attractive. And yet, at the same time, a fire can burn a house down. That's a paradox, right? It's a paradox. So God speaks to Moses by a paradox, the fire, In a paradox, come closer, but don't come closer. Through a paradox, a burning bush that doesn't burn up. Wow. That's a whole lot of paradox. 
What's the significance of that to us? It's very significant. I want you to think about something. Just think about this. In spite of the fact that we have been told uh, as a human race for uh, at least two or three centuries more, hundreds of years, in spite of the fact that we've been told for all those years that advancements in science would, re- would render belief in God unnecessary and untenable, I want you to think about the fact that there is still enormous interest in God all over the world. Is there not? And generally, people all over the world construct God in one of two ways. Conservative people, moralists, religious people, they tend to construct God in this way. They tend to go, well, he's very demanding, and he's righteous. And he's actually, you know, as a result of the way they view him, he's actually quite frightening, and he's intimidating, and he's respect-engendering, but he's not intimate. And he's not beautiful. He's mostly one that you want to just stay out of trouble with. There's, and I, love this, I love this line. There's the, the American writer Flannery O'Connor wrote about this kind of God one time and the people who worship this kind of God, that, that kind of you know, respect-engendering, holy, angry, righteous God, but not intimate. She wrote about that kind of God and the people who worship him. And she said this, she said, she's talking about some of those people. She said, they learned that the best way to avoid Jesus was to not sin. And you see, the point was that he is scary, not intimate. So you just want to stay off his radar. You don't sin, right? So that's the conservative, moral, religious God that some people construct. On the other hand, there are plenty of people who say, well, that kind of God doesn't really work for me. I want a God, and you hear this all the time, and you usually hear it from more liberal sorts. I want a God who is all loving and not judgmental and not intimidating. He's cozy. That's what I want. I want a cozy God who always supports me always affirms me, and he never says no. I want that kind of God. This encounter, with all of the paradoxes in this passage, tells us that neither of those gods, neither that conservative God nor that liberal God, neither of those are biblical. The biblical God is a God of fire who is both burning with holiness, with zero tolerance for evil and sin, but also burning with a passionate love that seeks relationship with us. This is why God can say, Moses, Moses, I want a relationship with you. Come closer. Come here. But he can also say, don't come closer. Take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. Taking off your sandals was a sign of respect, a sign of worship in the ancient Middle East. In other words, what God was saying, Moses, I want a relationship with you, but you need to know that I am so holy that you are in the fatal zone where you are standing right now. My holiness could consume you. You come any closer and you will die. You must worship, you must respect me before you get any closer. What's the point of all of that? The point is this. If you want an encounter with God, Those of you who may say, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, I I don't believe in anything. Those of you who may be saying, I'm trying to formulate what I believe. You need to understand this. If you want an encounter with God, you have to come to him as he 
is. You don't get to shape him. You don't get to construct him however you want. Now, I want you to think about this. Had God revealed himself in this passage as clay, as Play-Doh, he would have been signaling, hey, look, you can shape me into whatever you want. You put your hands into clay, and guess what? You get to define what it looks like, right? But what happens if you put your hand in fire? What happens? The fire shapes you. It'll melt your hand. Right? And see, what what God is saying is, you don't shape me. You don't construct me the way you want. Later in the story, God says to Moses, he reveals himself to Moses. Moses Moses says, you know, who are you? And God says to Moses, he says, I am who I am. You come to me as I am, not as you want me to be. You don't get to shape and construct me. I am both absolutely holy. I have zero tolerance for evil and sin. And I am also absolutely loving. I want a passionate relationship with you. I don't want it to be distant. I want it to be passionate. I want it to be close. But you need to know I am both absolutely holy and absolutely loving. And you see, what I want you to understand is that no other religion in the world would construct a God like that. Either they would construct him as absolutely holy with zero tolerance, or they would construct him as so loving and cozy that he stands for nothing. No human being would construct a God who is both absolutely holy and absolutely loving. Only Christianity proposes a God like that because of this revelation of himself in Scripture. If you want an encounter with God, you have to come to him as he is, not as you want him to be. Now, this is the last thing, the last thing that I want you to see. One more thing. I just want you to see this because I want you to see the gospel in this passage. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain the point before I tell you the point. Here it is, okay? God tells Moses in this passage, Uh, Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. In other words, you're standing in the fatal zone. Okay, show respect. And I want want you to see what uh, he says. He says, then he said, this is God. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And I want you to notice, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses was afraid, and rightfully so, because he is a sinner Standing in the presence of a holy God with zero tolerance for evil and sin. Here's the question that you ought to be asking yourself. If that's the case, why didn't Moses die? Look back at verse 2. Look back at verse 2. text tells us that in that burning bush, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. All through the Bible, all through the Bible, God tells his people, I want a relationship with you, but because I'm absolutely holy and you're a sinner, there has to be a mediator. 
between you and me. There must be a substitute who pays for your sins. This is why in the Old Testament you have all these animal sacrifices that get thrown into the fire in the Old Testament. God's holiness is a consuming fire. It will destroy any person who would try to have a relationship with him, who would try to enter his presence without a mediator. You don't think I'm telling the truth on this? Try it sometime. You take one day and go try to live by the Ten Commandments, by the law, You take one day and try to do it on your own. And you be very honest with yourself. You examine yourself very closely. And tell me at the end of that day that that law didn't consume you. That it didn't destroy you. Because it was so holy. You're not. You can't go one day without violating God's perfect law. That's the standard. Be perfect. You want to be in my presence? You be perfect, he says. I'm perfect. I'm absolutely holy. You be without sin. You can't do it. Not a one of you can do it. Not, nor can I. I don't, I'm included. None of us can do it. Not a one of us. It'll destroy you, his holiness. If you try to enter his presence without a mediator, without a substitute who would atone for your sins, your imperfection. And the New Testament explains that all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament, all of those were intended to point to one who came And in one sacrifice, threw himself into God's consuming fire, into the consuming fire of God's holiness, so that we would never have to be consumed by his holiness. You see, because Jesus was consumed by the holy fire of God on a cross, you and I would never have to be consumed by that fire. Now, remember this. Remember what God tells Moses to do? What does he say? He says, take off your sandals as a sign of worship. Now, did you notice that the angel in this text, what does he do when Moses takes off those sandals? Here's what angels normally do in the Bible. They always say, don't worship me. No, they'd say, put your sandals back on. Don't worship me. I'm not God. That's what angels always do. This angel receives that worship. He doesn't say don't take them off. He's like, yeah, you you, you should be taking them off. And do you know why? Who is this angel that's in the midst of God's consuming fire who mediates between God and Moses? Who is that angel? That angel in this fire is Jesus in pre-incarnate form. In other words, when Jesus came to earth, he was, that was an incarnation. I mean, in other words, he, he, he took on human flesh. This is Jesus in pre-incarnate form. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, mediating between Moses and God. That's why Moses doesn't get blown up by God's holiness here. And if that's not enough to blow your mind, I want you to think about this. Because Jesus was consumed by the holy wrath of God on the cross, those who believe in him, notice, what's the first word over there on our signs over here? First word, believe. Okay, Believe. Those who believe in him, 
All Moses saw, got to do was see a burning bush. But do you know what people who believe in Jesus get? We don't just get to see a burning bush. We get to become a burning bush. You know what a burning bush is? A burning bush is something that has the holiness of God in it, but doesn't get destroyed by it. When you believe in God through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, that allows you to become a burning bush. You are filled with the holiness of God, and yet his holiness doesn't consume you. You're still a bush. I mean, you're still a sinner, and yet you have the holiness of God inside of you. Why? Because you have a mediator. You have a substitute who died on the cross for your sins. Great reformer, uh, Martin Luther, he called this, he had this phrase, this uh, it, it's kind of become a very well-known phrase. It's in Latin, and it goes like this. Simul justus et peccator. It's in Latin. Simul justus et peccator. And it means simultaneously righteous, holy, and a sinner. And you see, the burning bush is a perfect picture of this great truth. You become a burning bush with the holiness of God in you, and yet you are not consumed by it because of what God did for you in Jesus Christ on the cross. And there it is, folks. The gospel of Jesus Christ in the desert, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, you see the consistency of Scripture, the supremacy of Jesus Christ over every other religion and philosophy in the world, and the beauty of the gospel right there in the book of Exodus. Now, that's pretty cool. Two applications I want you to walk away with. Those of you who are here this morning who have never believed, and maybe you're trying to formulate what you believe, you need to know this. If you want a real, genuine encounter with God, you don't get to construct God. You must come to him as he is. You don't get to make him the way you want to make him. I want him to be all loving. I want him to be all holy. Sorry. You come to him as he is. Both absolutely holy, no tolerance for sin and evil, and yet passionately in love with you, wanting to have a relationship with you. Second application is this. Some of you have already believed in your life, but you need a fresh encounter with God. May I suggest to you that the best place to go to get a fresh encounter with God is to look at the cross. Look at the cross where the God of absolute holiness consumed his own son so that you would never have to be consumed. Absolute holiness and perfect love, all seen in that one place on the cross of Christ. I'd like for you to bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider all of this, we recognize that we have, there is no other response than to bow down in worship before you. Your truth, the truth of your holiness, would consume us. It would destroy us were it not also for the truth of your passionate love. 
Lord, forgive us for trying to shape you, construct you into who we want you to be. You are who you are. And we come to you as you are, not as we want you to be. But we recognize that who you are is greater than we would ever, ever construct you to be. Lord Jesus Christ, it breaks us, it really does, when we come to your cross and we recognize that you were willing to be consumed by the fire of God's holiness on our behalf. Lord, would you, would you change us this morning? I pray that there would be some here who would recognize the greatness of the gospel and would come to know Jesus Christ, come to know you personally, Jesus Christ, like Moses did in that moment. I pray, Lord, that for the rest of us here, that some of us who have already come to a place where we believe in you, pray that you would make us into burning bushes who are alive with your holiness, and willing to do whatever you ask us to do, to go wherever you would ask us to go. Lord, give us a fresh encounter with you and who you are. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.